for prayer, and then we'll have our devotion tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that you could look past our faults and our flaws and our sinfulness, and you could love us anyway and want to make a way for us to be able to be with you despite our sin. And So you came up with a plan of redemption, rescue, salvation that involved having a solution to our sinfulness by instead of us having to die to pay the just debt that we owed for having rejected you and rebelled against you and chosen sin over you, that you made another way for your son to die in our place so that we wouldn't have to spend all eternity separate from you, but we could spend the rest of our lives here in time enjoying a close personal relationship with you and look forward to spending all of eternity with you, not because of anything we could do for you, but because you're a loving God who wanted to rescue us and you made it really simple that if we would just put your tr our trust in what your son did by dying in our place, paying our debt, being buried, and then rising again the third day to show he was victorious, that you had accepted his payment on our behalf, that we could be saved. We could be born into your family. We could be adopted as sons, and we could be have your spirit take up residence inside of us as a down payment of our future inheritance. And maybe most importantly, we could know for sure where we'll go when we die as far as something of comfort for the rest of the life we have here where we wouldn't have to be afraid of what the future holds because we would know that our future was locked and secure and held fast by your faithfulness and your promise to take us to be with you when we die. Pray that we could have comfort in that, that we would not be selfish about knowing that truth. We would want to share that message with other people that you bring into our lives. Pray that we would have hearts that want to spread your good news, your message of hope to the lost and dying around us. Pray that that could be a burden that we have collectively as a church body. Pray for this time we are having here tonight, that it would bring you honor and glory, that you give me wisdom even as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of tonight's devotion is Only One Door. Only One Door. As you think about sin, I touched on it a little bit in my prayer before this message got started, but if you think about sin, we've observed a few times here in this little mini-series that we've been doing called Only God Can Save, but in this mini-series we've been looking at why we need salvation. Sometimes when you talk about salvation, you need to be saved. You know, the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? This idea of being saved or having a Savior, Saviors being in the business of saving, well, save me from what is the natural question. What's all the saved stuff? I had a guy once ask me on the phone when I was trying to share the gospel with him. Why are you guys always talking about saved? Saved, saved, what? Saved from what? And so when you're thinking about sharing the gospel, young people, one of the best things that you could do to set a person up for the content of the gospel is to explain the state that they find themselves in, the context, we'll call it, of the gospel. And the context of the gospel is that man is born identified with sin by birth and by choice, personal choice to do things that God has said are not right. And that rebellion or that act of disagreeing with God in those moments, God calls that sin. And the Bible says, of course, most of you know this, but that the effect of sin is that it separates us from God because of what aspects of God's character, young people? What aspects of who God is cause sin to separate us from Him? Think of some of the attributes of God or the char characteristics of God. Do you got one in the back? Just blurt it out if you can think of one, young people. 
What about God would be incompatible with sin? Why would we say something like sin separates? Righteousness, that's one. He's perfectly right, meaning he's never, he's never ever wrong, and he's not associated with what's wrong either. Anyone else? It starts with an H. Holy. holy. What does holy mean? Perfect or set apart. God is perfect. He, there's no flaws to God. And so God cannot be associated with sin because of his perfection, because he's holy. And he wouldn't be able to maintain his holiness if he were to mix or rub up against sin, so to speak. And so the idea of sin is that there's a penalty or there's a debt associated with it that when we choose to reject God, our choices in life have consequences. Now, I know a lot of people, especially when you're young, like some of you, a lot of times you make decisions, right? And you don't really take time to think about consequences. Like, what will happen if I do this? What if, what if this doesn't turn out the way I hoped? And if you're quick to make decisions without praying about it, without thinking about it, without asking for advice for people who are more experienced than you, without kind of considering what could happen, you're prone to end up having to deal with consequences, and consequences are never, are never good when it comes to sin. When it comes to making hasty decisions, the consequences aren't good. And so the consequence of being a sinner or being identified with sin is that there's this barrier of separation that is caused to exist between mankind, all of whom are sinners, and God who is perfectly righteous, holy, and because he's just, he can't just overlook sin. So we've been talking about this in this series about how only God can save. And we talked about how in Genesis chapter 2, God warned mankind about the consequence of identifying or aligning themselves with rebellion against him, aligning themselves with rejection against him, aligning themselves with sin, what the consequence of that would be. And you remember that God said, dying spiritually, you will die physically. Now, it didn't say that exactly, but the word, that's, that's what the Hebrew means when he's talking about the consequence of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That in the day you do that, dying, the literal translation was dying spiritually, you will die physically. And this became the predicament that every man faced as the influence of sin was passed from one generation to the next as the world and everything in it became tainted by sin. Now, can you think of things in the in people that you know, maybe even in your own body, that have been affected by the curse of, th- of sin. And the curse of sin just, mean, it just meant when we say something is tainted by sin, everything's not perfect anymore, is it? Sometimes you maybe, have you kids ever had a pet that you really cared about and then come to find out that your pet has some medical problem? That's, that pet wasn't born perfect. How about maybe you were born with some kind of a physical problem that you've had to deal with? Everything's been tainted by sin. As you age, stuff starts to wear out and it's not perfect anymore. You know, some of you can see that I can't straighten out my right arm anymore. You see how my left arm is perfectly straight and I can't straighten this one more. So I've been seeing a doctor about this, but it's just another evidence of things are getting broken and they're wearing down and they're not perfect. And we see it in the world around us too as the world has broken down and is tainted by sin. I think it might be going too far to say mosquitoes are a part of that, but I have to wonder if there could have possibly been mosquitoes in the Garden of Eden before the fall. 
I'm assuming that there was some kind, because every kind of animal, no matter how small or big, had already been created by God. But I think some of the qualities of animals changed. They were tainted by sin too, where there hadn't been death and they hadn't acted in certain ways. And as a result of sin, you ended up having changes even with within animals, and I'm convinced it was a change within mosquitoes, too. I think they had some other thing that they did besides bite people back then. But everything was tainted by sin, and the consequence of sin, it represents the kind of problem that man cannot fix on his own. Have you kids ever had a kind of problem that you couldn't fix on your own? Where you, something got broken, we got a couple of hands, something got broken, or you, made, you messed up and you made a mistake and there's no way to put it back together again? How many of you heard about Humpty Dumpty? And all, how all of the king's horses and all of the king's men, they couldn't do what? <laughs> they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. If you think about an accident, let's just pick one. If you're really little and you took an egg out of the refrigerator, maybe you had good intentions, maybe you had bad intentions, I don't know, but you dropped it. Can you put that egg back together? No. And if you're real little, can you even clean up that mess on your own? No. If you were accidentally playing out in the yard and you hit a baseball through the living room window, can you fix that problem on your own? No. No, you need help to fix that problem that was caused. And the Bible tells us that the consequence of sin, that having... To have this separation from God, that was a kind of problem that we couldn't do anything about. We couldn't fix it. And so God alone had to provide this means of rescue. And we've been looking at some of these Old Testament glimpses or pictures of how God was going to have to make a way to deal with man's sin so that man wouldn't have to be separated from God forever. You see, when you talk about dying spiritually, you'll die physically. Everyone was going to die physically at some point in time. That was one consequence of sin. But the other part of it was it separated us spiritually from God. And if our spiritual existence after we died was to remain forever separated from God, where would that be, kids? Hell, right? Good. Thanks for raising your hands. We just kind of blurred out here, though. Okay. So it would be hell because that's the place that God isn't. And so when you're thinking about how God is going to have to provide a way of rescue, we've been looking at these pictures. We we looked at the first one was this symbolic physical covering for sin that God provided. You guys remember that one? Where, although it wasn't stated specifically, animals had to be killed or had to die so that their skins could be used to cover up Adam and Eve after they had sinned to cover their nakedness. Now, did they attempt to cover their own sin? Yes, what was it with? Leaves, fig leaves. So we call that operation cover-up. And was that good enough? No, because there hadn't been any substitutionary death. Because if the debt that was owed was that you would have to die because of your sinfulness, something was going to have to die in your place or who would have to die? You would, you would have to die, right? And so the first picture we saw how, was how these animals would have to die so that the sinfulness of man could be covered. And then the second thing we saw was the example of lambs being sacrificed as a symbolic illustration of God's plan to rescue man through the substitutionary sacrifice of who? Who was going to be the final lamb? Jesus, the lamb of God who what? Takes away the 
sins of the world. Not just part of the world, but all of the world, right? So how an innocent lamb was going to have to die in the place of the guilty. And tonight we're going to look at another picture of how only God can save. We're going to see how God alone provides the means of salvation, and it can only be accessed or you can only get a hold of it by trusting God, by taking God at His Word. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to take a look at the story of Noah. We're going to try to speed up our pace here a little bit. But there's a bunch that we're going to seek to go through here tonight. But I want to start with this section. It's going to be in Genesis 6. We're going to be jumping around. We don't have the time to read it all. But I just want to start by painting this picture that you see that there was, there was no person who was immune from this problem. That problem, again, was that we were all sinners and our sin was separating us or causing us to be separated from God and His righteousness and His holiness, right? And so something was going to have to be done to save us from the consequence of that. But the Bible says that everybody is afflicted with this tendency toward selfishness and self-centeredness, this tendency towards everyone doing their own thing. And everyone thinking that they know what's best, even though God is the one who sets out for us what is right and what is true, every man having this natural tendency to be a a rebel, to rebel against God. And the Bible lays out that this is the condition that man finds himself in, and it's kind of ugly, actually, when you think about it. Because the world will try to teach you that there's a lot of inherent good in people just naturally, by virtue of their birth, and we just need to coax that out. And the Bible says that there's nothing good about people unless God is living in them and producing good in them. But by nature, we're, we have nothing to offer. We have no life even. We're lifeless corpses, dead men walking. We're dead in trespasses and sins, the Bible actually says. But even uglier than that, Jeremiah 17.9, some of you know this verse, but it says, the heart of all men is deceitful, Above all things, and that sounds pretty bad, the heart of all men is deceitful. That's not the kind of friends I want, right? Are those the kind of friends you want? Deceitful friends? The heart of all men is deceitful above all things. It's deceitful above all things, not just a little bit, all things. And then it says this, if it wasn't bad enough, it says, and it's desperately wicked. Then it says something even more amazing. It says, who can know it? Who can know it? Meaning, you're not even aware of the depths of depravity that man naturally has. How broken man naturally is and how rebellious man naturally is. And how deceitful and desperately wicked man naturally is. That's the natural condition of men. And so the world's got it wrong. It's not that there's some goodness in there needing to be coaxed out. That part of man needs to be put to death, in a sense, as we are identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection so that we can be brought to life as that part of us is crucified on a cross, so to speak, so that Christ can create or produce in us a new way of living. He could give us a new nature. Now, we know that the residue, the old, the old nature doesn't, old sin nature doesn't disappear, but God wants us to learn to put that to death 
You died, the Bible says, and now your life is hidden with Christ to have this new life in Christ, not be living under the control of the old sin nature, but having the bondage that we were in to who we used to be, who we, we are by birth, having that broken, having that, those chains separated so we can be freed from that, so we can live a life that would be led by God, empowered by God, directed by God, and ultimately could bring Him honor and glory. And the Bible says there's no exceptions to this. Romans 5, 12, anyone want to quote that, kids? Wherefore or therefore just as? And so death? For all have sinned. Good job. Very good. That was very brave of you to be willing to say that in your, in your, yourself, by yourself. Therefore, just as through one man, who was that one man? Adam. Sin entered the world and death through sin. Death came with that. That was the consequence of sin. And then death spread to all men, not some men, all men, because what? All sinned. You can't say it's not fair that I inherited this propensity to be selfish and self-centered. That's not fair. Perhaps, but you still had a choice to make. Would you yield? Would you be directed by that self-centeredness and choose self in rebellion and rejection of God? Choose sin over what God said what was right? And everyone made that choice. No matter how old or young you are, you made that choice so that it's not somebody else who's to blame. You're to blame for the pickle that you're in. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And that's why the Lord had to lay on him, Jesus, the iniquities of us all, not some, all of us. And so when you think about if the heart of man is deceitful and wicked and God can't have anything to do with that, there's a consequence, separation is the consequence, a penalty for sin, then in a sense man deserves God's judgment. Okay, but I want you to look here a little bit at how bad the world was in Noah's day. Because some of you think that the world is really bad in our day, and is it? In a sense, and you're a part of the problem, just remember, because a lot of times we think about Oh, if we could just get rid of all this evil. <laughs> to get rid of all the evil would mean getting rid of you. See, God had two choices about getting rid of evil. One, he could have made us to be robots so that we couldn't have any choice but to do what was right. And we wouldn't have, there'd be no freedom in that. God made, it, made us as free beings, though, where he gave us free will so that we could make choices. And he found that he would, he determined that he would receive more honor from us having the choice to either accept or reject him and choosing to respond to his love and to love him as we saw how much he loved us. He, he determined that that would bring him more glory and honor and joy than making us robots. Now the other alternative, if he didn't want any evil, is he had to get rid of all people. And you know the thing of it is, is so often we fixate on evil while forgetting that we're a part of that problem. We've got to be careful about that because God didn't call us to celebrate evil, not in ourselves or in others. He called us to be set apart and holy and sanctified as produced and made possible by His Spirit changing us from the inside out. But He did call us to be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation of which we are part of that. We're part of the problem while at the same time, because of the new nature and the Spirit of God living inside of us, we're a part of the solution potentially as God wants to use us not because of us, not because there's anything special about us, other than we responded in faith to what God did for us, and He put His light inside of us in the, in the terms of or in the, 
by way of His Spirit so that we could reflect and shine God's light into the darkness when we're yielded to Him and are focused on Him and are looking to Him and are not doing our own thing. In those moments, God can use us to illuminate the darkness not because we're something special again, but because God's someone special and He sees us as something special because He loved us so much and He made a way for us to have this special mission of being light bearers for Him. The question is, will we get out of the way? Will we trust Him? Will we let Him fulfill that mission in us? And so you think about how evil men were. That was kind of an aside, sorry. Back to our story. In Noah's day, men were very evil. Look at verse 5, how this is described. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now listen to this description of how bad it was. And that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Continually. There was never a break in it. Every intent, not just some intents, but every intent, this is a general statement, of course, of unregenerate men who had not walked by faith, who had not trusted God, who were not depending on God to produce a different way of living in them than would be characterized by the flesh. But this is how it's described. The wickedness was great, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was to do evil continually. That was the mindset of man. Now go to verse 11 as we jump forward. I want you to see another description of how deceitful and wicked man is by nature. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was, catch this, was filled with violence. Is our earth filled with violence? Yeah, to to an extent, but not like this, not like what's being described here. It was filled with violence. Verse 12, so God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt, meaning everything had been tainted by sin. For all flesh all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, meaning there was no exceptions to this. Now, if sin separates and there's consequences and penalty for sin, then did man deserve God's judgment? And the answer is yes. God couldn't overlook sin. When you, when you make a mistake or you choose these kinds of things, you are deserving of whatever outcome comes from that. Let's look at verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Not only will I destroy these wicked and evil people. Why are they wicked and evil? Because they're rejecting God. They're rebelling against God. They're not trusting God. They're not walking by faith. They don't have a relationship with God. That's what's evil about them. Does, I mean, was, we, we know that Noah was an exception to this, but did that mean Noah didn't sin? No, it just meant that as a general rule, he had put his faith in God and had accepted that what God said was true and he was willing to take God at his word and to walk by faith, to let God make changes in his life, to let God direct his life in a way that could bring God glory. But you see, spiritual death and physical death were the consequence or the judgment that man deserved. Remember, dying physically, you will die spiritually. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death again. Ephesians 2.1 says, we were dead, those who had not been saved yet, hadn't put their trust in Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking to believers who had been saved from a place of death, spiritual death, and had been made alive through the new life that came through faith in Christ. 
Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. This is written to the nation of Israel. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Sin separates. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, God, they, man was deceitful and wicked. Man deserved God's judgment, but God provided a way of salvation. Let's pick up in verse 14. This is what God says to Noah. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you will make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Its width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. Now, how many doors? One door. We're going to see that in a minute. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks, three decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish, let's make sure I'm not reading too far, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. So here's God's way of rescue. He's not going to destroy everything. He's going to make a way of salvation and it's going to have one door. It's going to be called an ark. And I'm going to establish a covenant with you, you will go into the ark, you, your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Now, was that because nobody else could have gone in? No, we're going to see later. It's because nobody else chose to accept or trust God or to listen to what Noah had to say about God's righteousness and the coming destruction that would be coming. Verse 19, and of every living thing, and of everything of living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds of their kind, of animals after their kind, and of, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself, yourself all, of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Now, I know that was a little bit long, but that's, not, that's something that you're familiar with. You see this ark that God designed, God gave the dimensions, God gave the instructions to Noah, God gave the grace to Noah to build this, God gave him the resources and the time and the ingenuity to make this to make this possible. But this ark was a vessel of salvation because everything was facing God's judgment. And so God was showing that even in the face of deserved judgment, remember this is deserved judgment, even in the face of that there's going to be a way of salvation, there's going to be a way of rescue. And this is a picture, remember we're talking about this idea of how only God can save and how the Old Testament is filled with these pictures of how God would provide salvation. So Jesus is a better version of Noah's Ark in a sense because he's the vehicle for how man could be rescued. And while Noah's ark only provided temporary physical rescue and salvation for these animals, did all those animals end up dying? Eventually. Did they have offspring and those offspring continue and we still enjoy those animals today? Yes. But those original animals, they were saved temporarily. Did Noah and his sons eventually die and their wives? Yeah. They were temporarily rescued. It was a picture of the salvation that would come or the vehicle of salvation that would come that would only have one way of access, one door, and that was Jesus. Because Jesus provides eternal salvation, not just temporary salvation. And it was all, when you think about this salvation, did God have to provide a way of salvation? The answer is no. He didn't have to provide Noah a way of salvation, just like he didn't have to provide all men a way of salvation through the person and work of his son, Jesus. It, all, it was all provided by grace. Look at verse 8. 
Chapter 6 here, verse 8, look back. It says, but Noah, God just says, I'm going to destroy the whole world and bring my judgment on the world. But it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah didn't deserve this either. Just like you and I don't deserve it. So that's why we can say, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It's a gift from God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, when we look at God's way of salvation here, God was extremely patient and long-suffering in allowing people a chance to change their mind and to be rescued. Now, no, we know that nobody did, but God gave a lot of time. 1 Peter three eighteen through 20 says, For Christ also suffered, suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would be brought to a place of repentance, a place where they would change their mind, would be saved. Okay? And so we think about Jesus was the one who suffered the just for the unjust, the guilt, the sinless in the place of the sinful, the innocent in the place of the guilty, that he might bring us to God, a vehicle of salvation, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient. Now catch this, though. He says, when once the divine long-suffering waited, God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. How long did God wait? Well, nobody knows for sure. So I've heard as little as 70. I've heard as much as 100. Perhaps there's some exact number that you're passionate about. But whether it was 70 or 100 years that God waited before he brought the judgment while Noah was spending some amount of that time constructing the ark that God had given him dimensions for and had designed. He gave men a lot of time to respond to this message of the coming judgment. Now, we can't be sure about exactly what Noah was preaching, but we'll get that to this rate in a second because God says this. God uses people to proclaim his message of salvation. God uses people to proclaim his message of salvation and Noah was one of the first examples of that. Second Peter 2.5 says this. God did not spare the ancient world but he saved Noah, one of eight people. And how does he describe Noah? A preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Noah was described as a preacher of righteousness. God withheld his judgment for many years. It stands to reason that if man, if Noah was somebody who found favor in God's sight because he was one who was responding by faith that we'll see in a second, that Noah was preaching the message of salvation. This is the vehicle that you could be rescued from the judgment that is to come. But this is just a vehicle for your temporary salvation. You need to turn in faith to God, to trust God, to accept that what God says is true. And Noah was called a preacher of righteousness. Now, you see, though, that even though God made a way of salvation, you still had to actually get on board. You still had to walk through the door. God didn't force anyone through that door. And that's why only eight people were rescued. There was one way of rescue and there was one door. Just like Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the except but by me or except through me, depending on your, your version. One door to the ark one way of salvation through Jesus Christ. You see this picture of how God is going to have to make a way to rescue hopeless man. And unfortunately, just like today, most people fail to see the need for salvation. How many people again were saved? 
8, despite 70 to 100 years of God's patience, despite Noah being a preacher of righteousness, despite Noah living a life that was reflecting of God's righteousness. We'll see that. Eight people. Still today, friends, kids, the, the people that you run into, most of them do not put their trust in Jesus Christ. That's the sad truth. The encouraging truth is that many people are still open, even though many are rejecting what God has done for them. But God doesn't make people accept his way of rescue. He provides a way. He says, here's the door. You can walk through it. It's free. It's available by my grace, even though you don't deserve it. You can't work for this. You can't merit it. You can't earn it. But it's freely available. Will you take it? Will you accept this gift that I offer you of eternal life? And see, Noah did. See, God's salvation is only available or accessed by faith. Let's read verses 7 through 16 here in chapter 7. Sorry, 1 through 16 in chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. Did he? Yes. You and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven of each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two of, each anim- two of each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were open, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights." On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So did Noah believe God? Did he trust God? Did he take God at his word? Yes. Hebrews eleven seven says that this was an act of faith on Noah's part. It says, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear, meaning a reverence for God. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. In what sense did it condemn the world? in the sense that nobody else chose to avail themselves of the salvation that was available. Now think about, else talks about Noah's faith. God's salvation is only available through faith. Genesis 6.22 says, Thus Noah did, back when it came to talking about building the ark, thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. There you have it again. He responded by faith. Genesis 6.9 says, This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. He was a man of faith. He responded in faith. He took God at his word. He accepted that what God had said was true. 
chapter 7, verse 5. You're looking at it right now. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Verse 16, we just read it in chapter 7. So those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, talking to Noah. And then who shut him in? The Lord shut him in. You see, God makes a way of salvation. Man can't save himself. Man has to trust God, take God at his word, and respond in faith to what God offers him. But man deserves the judgment that is coming, but yet God in his love wants to make a way for man to be spared from that, a way of rescue. So only one door. It's symbolic. There's one way in. There's one way of rescue. And the Old Testament is filled with these pictures of what God's future redemption would entail. The ark is just one more of many found throughout Scripture that leads up to Christ's coming. God reveals through Noah that man faces judgment for his rejection of God. But here again, God communicates clearly that he alone can provide salvation. Here again, God reveals that salvation is conditioned on faith. It's conditioned on taking God at his word, just as we had seen with God needing to provide a covering for Adam and Eve, with God having to provide a substitute with lambs that would be sacrificed, the innocent in the place of the guilty. God is going to have to make a way because there's no way for man to rescue himself. All right, well, that is the end of our message here tonight. We're going to have a time to eat food, so we'll say thanks here, and then we'll get to it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we could spend together. Pray that you'd undertake to provide safety for the rest of tonight. Pray that this would have been a good reminder that we are hopeless and helpless to help ourselves apart from trusting you and appropriating by faith your provision to deal with our sinfulness, not just in terms of our penalty, the penalty that's owed for sin, but in terms of even dealing with the tendency that we have to be influenced by sin in our lives when you want to give us victory over sin, how you've given us your spirit that has given us freedom from the law of sin and death. If we would just keep our eyes on you and depend on you and trust you and follow you, let you lead and work in our lives so that we could have the abundant life that you discussed and that you wanted us to have that's accessed again only by trusting you and taking you at his word. Thank you for all the work that went into the meal here tonight. Thank you for the donation of the pizza for us to eat even here tonight. Pray that we'd have an enjoyable time of fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.